Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune into what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to a Cross Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A rested child is a happy child. Sleep Tight Stories is a weekly podcast that brings comfort and joy to families worldwide with calming bedtime stories. The stories are relevant to children and spark wonder without overstimulation, so they can fall asleep and stay asleep. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For a bedtime routine you'll miss when they're grown, Sleep Tight Stories. Welcome to Money Making Conversations. It's the show that shares the secrets of success experienced firsthand by marketing and branding expert Rashawn McDonald. I will know. He's given me advice on many occasions, and in case you didn't notice, I'm not broke. You know he'll be interviewing celebrity CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It's what he likes to do. It's what he likes to share. Now it's time to hear from my man, Rashawn McDonald. Money Making Conversations. Here we go. Welcome to Money Making Conversations. I am your host, Rashawn McDonald. Let's be real. It's time everybody needs to stop reading other people's success stories and start writing your own. I say that all the time on this show. And I always tell people to lead with their gifts, your passion, the things you believe in. And while you're leading, don't let your age, friends, family, or coworkers stop you from planning or living your dreams. My interviews that I bring on Money Making Conversations, I include celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and what I like to call industry decision makers. My next two guests, they fall in that celebrity, definitely entrepreneurs, but they're also decision makers because they changed our views. My next two guests are Erica Alexander and Whitney Dow. They've teamed up for a new podcast that explores the full picture of reparations with arguments both for and against restitution for Black American descendants of enslaved people. Let's set the stage for our conversation as we discuss reparations. Erica Alexander is beloved for iconic acting roles as Living Single, Get Out, series like Black Lightning. She wears many hats, not only as an actress, but as a trailblazing activist, entrepreneur, creator, producer, director. Basically, she's an all-around boss, okay? Whitney Dow, he's an award-winning filmmaker and educator. He's been producing and directing films focused on race and identity for almost two decades. And his partner of a two-tone productions, his directing credits include one I'm very familiar with Two Towns of Jasper, I Sit Where I Want, The Legacy of Brown versus Board of Education, Unfinished Country, and When the Drama is Beating. His producer credits include Freedom Summer, Banished, How Whites Drove Blacks Out of Town in America. Please welcome, I've set the tone, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Money Making Conversation, the host of Reparations, The Big Payback, Erica Alexander and Whitney Dow. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. That's that's uh, we're glad to be here. And um, congratulations on everything you're doing and all the success and also highlighting 
um, our work and others um, like us. We appreciate it. Thank well, you. Uh, first of all, thank you for coming on the show. And I wanted to set this tone of who we're talking about, because in the past, and Whitney's on the, he's on video as well as audio with as well, because the show plays back on television as well as on podcasts. And the reason I wanted to bring you on the show, because I'm about Whitney's age and through life, I've heard this reparation tone being thrown out there. And usually it's some person who looks kind of disheveled on the street in New York City holding a cardboard sign that's crooked, but somehow he's found a marker and he says, you owe me. And he's misspelled reparations. <laughs> now I'm looking at a highly gifted actress, a highly talented producer and creator in Whitney. And okay, this is not what I grew up on. This is not my mom's TV. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that is so funny. Yeah. You know what? I was about to say, Whitney, that we were going to go out to talk to people. And I was going to say, we'll put the, uh, the reparations on the cardboard and they'll come to us. You're exactly right. That is something that has been in a sort of a marginalized community. Mm-hmm. And Whitney can speak to that very well because mm-hmm. he's been working inside of race and talking about these things for a while. Go ahead. Yeah, no, it's, it's really uh, incredible. I think, we're, you know, Eric and I were talking about this earlier today about this moment that we're in that we're, you know, like last year, we we're listening to the major, the major uh, presidential camp candidates talking about reparations on the debate stage without fear, but actually because they knew it was something that Americans wanted to hear about. Thank you for bringing up my age, Rashawn. Appreciate that. You can know that Eric is a little younger than we are. Just so a little. Just a, no, no, a lot. But yes, you can tell just by looking at the screen. So uh, the uh, but but to think about when I was coming up and when you were coming up. Um, this wasn't even remotely a conversation that we thought could be had. And now we're in this moment when it feels, look, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know if it's possible, but it feels real. HR 40 feels like it has the possibility of finally passing and there can be an actual discussion about reparations in this country. Reparations. What does that mean when, from a black perspective? I'm going to ask both of you this question. I'm going to ask you first, Erica, from a black perspective, what does reparations mean? Because it seems because there's a lot of people could stand in line for that, starting with the American Indians mm. and also more recently the Japanese during the World War Two, when they were uh, putting in, in, in camps out of fear that they will cause some type of injury or were inside spies in America. So, but blacks were enslaved and they were brought over here against their will. And so now we're only talking about, you know, descendants of enslaved people. So now you're not including all black people. So how did that decision come about not to include? Why why am I not getting my check now? You know, I'm just saying. Well, you know, (laughs) reparations is actually, we had Rizza, uh, he actually read, um, uh, the definition of reparations on episode two. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's compensation. That's what it is for war damages paid by a defeated state. That's mm-hmm. a very sort of, that's what it is in the dictionary. Um, but if you've made something wrong, you're making amends for that wrong. And that's what reparations is. It's pay money or some sort of something that helps those that you have wrong. That's reparations. Why aren't you getting them? Um, it's because black people weren't in a position to advocate for themselves mm-hmm. after slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a brief period during Reconstruction where they discussed it. And everybody knows about 40 acres of a mule and about, you know, uh, um, Sherman's bill that they asked him to put forward. Um, but then what happened is that racism settled back in. Jim Crow, all these things happened. Uh, Reconstruction stopped. and 
That's why you didn't get it. And then by the time the civil rights act, civil rights um, period comes up, people are starting to talk about um, uh, the rights that we have or don't have then. Uh, it wasn't the time maybe to bring that up when you're trying to just survive. But people did bring it up during the civil rights um, period and they brought it up all during it. And we'll talk about the types of people, Cali House and others. Um, Whitney loves that story of Cali House and Queen Mother Moore, people like that who kept trying to get reparations, pensions and other ways to um, to help blacks. But we didn't have any power. More importantly, the people in power did not care and or want to do it because they saw as us still as being subhuman and we'd have to just make out on our own. So now that we have power, we're trying to say, don't ask why we didn't get it thin. Ask why now that we have power, how can we get it to uh, help the descendants of American slaves now? Okay, cool. Now, that's always coming from you at SP perspective. You're a woman of color a person of color. You you were that angry generation. You you you've been disenfranchised, you know what I'm saying? Like I say, but now now Whitney, okay, you're a white guy. All right now. Well what, what what's your problem? What's what's your what's your problem with talking with this black young lady over here about reparations, okay? You really hurting our cause, sir. Okay? Can you be quiet? I know you made a lot of movies that have really been equal with a lens for uh, injustice uh, uh, and, and keeping it right and parallel to the, the course of righteousness for black and brown people. But why are you, Whitney, getting involved with Erica? Well, you know, it's funny, you know, the, with all the work that I've done, and I think I've had a couple of sort of moments in those lives where I always kind of felt, I think like a lot of white people, I think that, you know, race and racism or the structures of the racist structures of our country. I was kind of like thought of thought of um, as sort of outside myself, something that someone who I believed that um, I wanted to, I believed in social justice. I believed in equality, but I had to work on these things. And the moments, the big switch for me is realize, no, that's all embedded in me. And mm-hmm. that I need to be working for all the roads that I was following down led back to myself is that I needed to take action. I needed to recognize my part in the paradigm and see how I could shift it so that I really believe that this is going to sound weird on, in the context of this show, but, but white people are suffering from the fact that this injury has never been repaired. And I really feel that we cannot be full citizens of this country and in some ways even fully moral humans until we make restitution, if we try and repair the damage of slavery. And I think that part of that is not even whether we can do it effectively, but we have to make the attempt. We have we have to make the attempt. And you know what we were talking about earlier about what it is, I mean, one of the things that's, you know, I, 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 you know, I often joke with Erica about that I'm, that I'm relieved about is that, you know, the, when you talked earlier about who gets it and who doesn't get it, mm-hmm. being a white person, I know I don't have standing to make that decision mm-hmm. to weigh in with an opinion on that. Mm-hmm. I have the easy job. I just have to advocate for it. Mm-hmm. Now, you guys have to figure out how it gets done and gets distributed. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I 100% agree. I, you know, I look at this. I remember when Steve Harvey and I was doing live radio in Los Angeles, so 90.3 to beat. And every time this guy would come by and he had this little book and it was a dirty book. So he was with pictures that the pages were bent and, and he, would, he would make his claim to me. 
because he wanted to get on the morning show. He always, you got to let me speak today. I got to tell the truth. I got to let people know. And every, every, I said, sir, I can't. I, I, what facts, are, what are you backing this up on? What facts are you basing your claim for reparation? Because he definitely did not look like you, Erica. And he definitely did not look like you, Whitney. Okay. <laughs> Nor did he have the credits or the uh, background to allow me to actually, at least you guys can talk because you have one, one up. You have the credits allowed to have a real legitimate voice. So I go, okay, I want to hear your side of the story, which is a blessing because if you don't have that, then you get shushed to the side like I did him all those years. He kept coming to me trying to get on the Steve Harvey Morning Show. Now, you're on my show, Money Making Conversation, popular platform. Now, has that been a blessing for you, Erica, to be able to come on shows, to do national articles, to have a podcast, to finally get this story out? It has been a blessing. It's also a burden. Anybody that's in this type of work, you get exhausted by it. Talking about these issues is difficult because it brings up all sorts of conversations in your life or, you know, challenges or disappointments you might have had and sort of thinking why. But it is a blessing because it's part of what I guess somebody passed me the baton a long time ago. People like Harriet Tubman, if she can go through those swamps and go back and forth and back and forth. I can do this. I can do a podcast. I can do whatever I need to do in order to help people move forward. And, and so it's, 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 um, it is a blessing. It's also a blessing to be on a show like yours to be discussing this because that means that it is, um, not only the zeitgeist, but it's, it's happening among people who can help make the difference and bring it forward and then push it beyond um, any one platform. And that's important because people have been trying to have this conversation for a long time. We're not the first. We won't be the last. You have Frederick Douglass. You have Du Bois, Garvey, all these people. Again, James Foreman, we actually talk about him on our show and how he interrupted uh, these church service at Riverside. And he demanded $500 million in reparations because he said that the, um, the churches were complicit in slavery and, and oppression, and he wanted to hold them accountable. Mm. And um, you have um, groups like in Cobra and John Conyers in Congress and what he's doing there. And of course, Sheila Jackson Lee now with HR 40 and all the women, Robin Ruth Simmons, we cannot forget her. And we'll talk more about her, what she's done in Evanston, Illinois, by passing the first reparations bill in history. We are following her with a documentary that we are both making, uh, Whitney and I. And um, that's why we're having it. The fact that we're here is proof of life. It's finally here, the season of celebration. And no matter how you celebrate with family and friends, whether you're preparing for Reyes Magos or Karamu, lighting the menorah, or going to Midnight Mass, Kohl's has just what you need to make those traditions special. Plus, you'll find gifts for all your loved ones. Send warm wishes with cozy fleeces, sweaters, loungewear, blankets, and throws. Support minority-owned or founded brands by giving gifts from Human Nation and Shea Moisture. Or treat them to everyone's favorite activewear from top brands like Nike, Adidas, and Under Armour. And in the spirit of giving, Kohl's Cares is donating $8 million to local nonprofits nationwide committed to the health and well-being of our communities. No matter how you celebrate, when you shop at Kohl's, you're right where you belong. So this season, give with all your heart with great gifts from Kohl's or Kohl's.com. Look through your children's eyes to see the true magic of a forest. It's a storybook world for them. You look and see a tree. They see the wrinkled face of a wizard with arms outstretched to the sky. They see treasure and pebbles. They see a windy path that could lead to adventure. And they see you. 
their fearless guide to this fascinating world. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Look through your children's eyes to see the true magic of a forest. It's a storybook world for them. You look and see a tree. They see the wrinkled face of a wizard with arms outstretched to the sky. They see treasure and pebbles. They see a windy path that could lead to adventure. And they see you, their fearless guide to this fascinating world. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. You know, here's a, it's when this question is directed to you because we hear the word council culture, and the word council culture, you know, kind of started with the removal of the Confederate statues. And and I, I attest that uh, my minor is in sociology, my degree is in mathematics. And when I took sociology, wow. it really allowed me to understand what I didn't know about my black history. I didn't really know the values that I brought to the table because if you go to a typical um, public school or even private school, this is what happens to black people. This is the black history that's told to us. We came over to America. We were enslaved. We were freed. Okay. Then suddenly it skips all the way to uh, Brown versus the Board of Education. Then it goes to the civil rights marches. Then it goes to I Have a Dream speech. Then it goes to, to, goes to, uh, to Martin Luther King's assassination. And it kind of stops. This is, those are our accomplishments that you kind of read in history. And so when you say council culture, blacks have always had a council culture when it comes to being educated, the education being fed to the masses. And so when I, I get not angry, I just get annoyed that you use people use the word council culture. And unfortunately, it's coming from a majority of the white community that that word council culture. Can you expound on that? Because I think that's what makes a perfect parent for you guys on this podcast, because I can have this diverse conversation with both of you guys. Well, I think that, you know, it's interesting. I think that white people also have a cancel culture in their history as well. It's just, it's different. We've canceled out all, we, we work really hard to cancel out all the bad things, the things that, that don't line up with how this sort of this idea of American exceptionalism and how we sort of see, always sort of been told, told ourselves as white people that we're sort of this, you know, white Americans are, you know, we're, we're some inherently good people that this thing, and I think that the parts that we're left out of are the, you know, the idea of, of this idea of you know bootstrapping and sort of the lone cowboy against the you know riding out on the range, but with the lone cowboy is now that stupid piece of the story is left out is that before him rode an army that slaughtered the native Americans so he could act out that independent act on his on his own. So I think that we're, we the, the, the idea is like I think you're exactly right. There's what we're trying to do is. Take those pieces that are missing, then add them to the story. And I just wanted to get back to something you said about Eric and me doing it together. I think so much of the time, these stories are told separately. Yes. The stories of Black Americans. There's Black History Month, or there's this where it's and you know I, I hate Black History Month. It should be History Month because your story and my story are the same story. They're they're inherently intertwined. And by taking them apart and trying to say they're different, we you you inherently diminish them. I think to understand. Either one, you have to understand them both as, as, as how they're woven together. You know, when I when I listen to your talk, and uh, I'm from Houston, Texas, born a native of Texas, okay, and um, a project that you were involved in called Two Towns of Jasper, and it, it was very emotional for me because it involves the uh, a black man being brutalized, murdered, and uh, humiliated by the way he was killed, being drugged behind a truck. You was involved in that, and it had a major impact in your life, and probably 
or led you down the path that you're going in right now. Talk about coming into that project and why it was important to do a project like that that had nothing to do with you, nothing to do with your major. It wasn't a relative of yours, but you felt a need to do a project. It was called Two Towns of Jasper. Well, that sort of, as I said, that was a major stepping off point. And I, you know, look, this, this is called uh, money-making conversations. And yes. I, I'll make a confession on here. When I went down to, to, to do that show, <laughs> I, was, I wanted to make a film. Mm-hmm. And I literally saw the, the press conference with Billy Rolls, the sheriff of Jasper, Texas. And he had that big 10-gallon yes. hat. And he had like a car, two-tone Carhartt jacket and the high-waisted like Wranglers. And I was like, that guy is a movie star. I want to go down there. So I go down there and it was, and the other thing, so he said that, that oh yeah, we're, we're having, we're having, uh, we're having, there's a big Klan rally here in support of the white community. And I was like, got into my head. I was like, wait a minute, this black man was just dragged to death in Texas and the Klan's coming to, to rally in support of the white community. So I flew down there and the black, new Black Panther Party was all for there having these counter demonstrations. And, um, what happened is that I had actually gone down there because I thought, oh, if I want to make, if I want to make money in advertising, I need to uh, make a movie that will sort of give me my ticket in. But what happened, and I think we t- were talking a little bit this, about this uh, uh, before the show started, I went down, I drove down Huff Creek Road where they dragged James Ward's body. They chained him to a truck, three white men. And we're driving down and they had spray painted circles where they had found all his different body parts on it. And we're driving and it went on and it went on and it went on and it went on for mile after mile, three miles. We get to the small black church at the end. You could see the imprint of his body where they laid because he he had been so, he had been so, uh, you know, abraded by the road. And that moment in that space, like shook me so profoundly to my core. I really just, it was like one of those moments where my, my, my world just opened up and I, and I just felt at that moment, if I can make something that slightly communicates what I'm feeling here and the horror that I'm feeling and also the recognition I'm feeling of being in a, a white American standing in that spot, I will have created something with value. And that was really the beginning of the journey. Wow. Eric, are you African-American? You know, your projects. And Last time I checked. Absolutely. You know, when you walk in a room, you know, somebody going to let you know now. That's the beauty of being a, a, a person of color. You know, we can't run Show from, enough. you know, we, gonna, we can't run from our skin tone when we walk in a room. I don't care if we have several degrees. I don't care if we're billionaires. billionaires. As a black rich person, that's a smart black person that just walked in the room. True. Now you're doing a, a, a podcast about reparations. Now, how did this come together that you united and felt that voice could be better served by partnering with Whitney? How did you guys come together? Um, We came together because uh, Joy Reid introduced us, actually. Uh, Joy Reid knew that we were both interested in doing something with a reparations, uh, you know, something project. Mm -hmm. And um, he, of course, has his... uh, life and his credits and all the work that he's done. And I had just recently um, produced um, with Color Farm Media, my partner, Ben Arnon, the John Lewis Could Trouble documentary. And um, she said, you guys should get together. And that's how it happened. We got together in a cafe. We started cafe. We started talking about um, our work. Uh, He sort of explained to me some of his hesitation or uh, the things that he would be... um, 
most concerned about going forward. I didn't have those concerns um, because I've been working and collaborating with so many different people my entire life that I've had to be flexible and sort of, you know, be a chameleon, those types of things. But I totally got he wanted to make sure that we would um, be a good fit. And I, I did, too. I didn't want this to fail because we we failed to meet in what our goals were. And we were aligned. We have similar missions in life. We have um, really interesting sense of humor and we can laugh things off and, and move forward. But we also were very serious about the work. So that's how, what happened. We decided to do it. and We got going on it. Then the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. And um, by that time, we had been asked whether we wanted to do a podcast about it. And um, and those things sort of halted. And I had already gone on the Breakfast Club to talk about the reparations documentary. And Charlemagne the God asked me, yo, Queen, he gave me a call. What's going on with that? Are you doing a podcast? And Because he had just gotten a deal to do his podcast network, The Black Effect. And I said, well, you know, it's available. You're interested? And he goes, yes. And next thing you know, here we are because of his resources and the power that he had in that space. Um, we were making this podcast and we called it the big payback. This is a, a great story. Now, Whitney, within her story, she said there was some reservations. What were your reservations <laughs> with you? you know, I'm a good listener now. I'm not a good listener. So, you know, Joy called and said, you know, you got to meet Erica and her, and her partner, Ben. And I said, okay. And, you know, look, I'll just be really honest here in the show. I'll say, look, you know, uh, some movie star actress, some beautiful movie star actress. I need, I, I need that in my life. I said, you know, I said, oh, so when she came down and I said, Erica, you know, I don't know if it's going to work. You know, you're this big star. I'm just this filmmaker of the thing. And I said, don't, you know, I don't know if this is going to be a good fit. She just looked at me and she said, Whitney, you think that I survived in Hollywood for 30 years without knowing how to handle white guys like you? And I was like, okay. That's something I can work with. There was like no bull there. It was just like straight up. And that was sort of the beginning of this journey. Oh, I love it. And uh, that's that's true. That She has been a blessing. I'm just talking about Erica as a, a person. Because I've been in Hollywood since 92 while doing sitcoms. Mm-hmm. So I've been blessed to watch her career evolve and grow and the diverse roles that she's taken upon herself. Now, the interesting thing about my life is that when you, when you bring up names that I know, like Sheila Jackson Lee. You know, mm-hmm. she's out of Houston, very familiar with her work, and this H.R. 40 bill in Congress. What is the end game for you guys with this reparations, the big payback? Are, are you guys going to go to Congress one day and sit down and, and talk to Congress and tell them why your podcast is relevant and why? Then they're going to look at you, Mr. White Guy. You know, <laughs> why is he? I, I got the movie star over here because she's liberal Hollywood. Why is that <laughs> white guy sitting with her? So how are you guys? What's the end game, Erica? What's going on? <laughs> Go ahead, Whitney, answer that one. <laughs> Why are you here? You know, I, look, I, I, got, I got the hate mail to prove it. People ask me, the, you know, my, my people ask me the same thing sometimes. And I, you know, I always joke. I say, I'm here to save white people. You. So, you know, and I think that, that one of the things is that, I mean, we're, we're working on two tracks. We, we actually been embedded in Sheila Jackson Lee's office for a couple, uh, you know, I think almost two years now, tracking yes. HR 40 and, uh, and filming that, that whole process. But um, look, the end game is to help get HR 40 passed, to bring yes. that. I, and the thing that's so, and you know this, you know this well, Rashawn, that the that HR 40 is just a bill to talk about it. Yes. It's not a bill that's promising anything. It's a bill to establish commission 
to talk about the possibility of refugees and make recommendations. And so that seems to me just like the bare minimum, the bare minimum that we should be doing as Americans. And one of the things that Eric and I often talk about is we both believe that this division, this division that was that was the quote, original sin of slavery is at the root. It's sort of like, you know, it's at the root of so many of our problems that are dividing us. And when you talk about how we sort of see ourselves and where you're talking about storytelling earlier, I think that one of the big things that we have to get over is white people have to, white Americans have to reimagine their story in this epic of America. And I think that HR 40 and having a conversation, we can address those things head on can be a beginning for that. I want to change just a little bit subject about it because you brought up your special, Erica, that you, I shouldn't say special, a documentary you did with John Lewis. Good mm-hmm. Trouble. Uh, I saw it and um, I was disappointed in myself that I didn't know the man. I didn't mm. know his story. I didn't know, you know, because the last two years we've been able to see it play out, especially when he was announced he had cancer and through through this pandemic. And then, of course, he died. But what was your biggest takeaway from him? Because I didn't know. I, I really didn't know. He was like our modern day version of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. He was living and breathing version of Dr. Martin Luther King. And we didn't really, I think, um, appreciate that, especially in black America. Definitely not white America. And so why do you think he was so, because he was so humble, first of all, but he really didn't, uh, didn't climb out. He never ran for Senate. He never tried to run for an office of uh, vice president, would never recommended that or never tried to uh, run for presidency. Talk about that special. And I just wanted to bring that out of just, I just, my whole thing in bringing you guys on was to give you guys a voice to lay down the background that you guys have the right and the expertise and the cachet to talk about reparations on your podcast in this discussion of the big payback. But just give us a little feedback on your role and your experience of just the the final months and years of uh, John Lewis. Uh, John Lewis is about destiny. Um, He is a wonderful example of the true American dream. And that whole good trouble thing which is what, you know, is the name of the film and his moniker and his motto. It's basically just saying, if you see something that's not right, not fair, not just do something, say something, get into trouble, good trouble. It's asking us all to go beyond what's comfortable. He's not asking us to stand on a bridge and get our brains beat out. He's not asking us to to do those types of things that, you know, people in the struggle who might be more um, trained and nonviolence and what, and, and what he did. He's just saying, do more, you know, take it upon yourself to get yourself in uh, and, 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 and reposition the argument, the conversation and, and, and take it upon yourself to do it. He committed his life to a fight for civil rights and justice for all justice for all. And he did it. We know how he did it without malice, with courage, just of his convictions, his abiding love of the beloved community he talks a lot about that. The beloved community. Um, Martin Luther King talked a lot about that. that certainly the philosophy of nonviolence, um, peaceful protest. We see Black Lives Matter out there doing their thing in the street. He was Black Lives Matter with um, SNCC and what he did. And so I think that if you think about the boy from Troy, which is what Martin Luther King called him, he was sort of just stepped into his destiny. And he did it in the most violent and one of the most violent racial storms in America after slavery. Actually, 
the most. And we think about George Floyd and all the things that are happening now. They were just getting assassinated and killed left and right. You didn't do that lightly. You knew what you were going on mm-hmm. to do. But he was an American icon. And he became an American icon because he stood and he kept going forward and he got arrested. And he didn't just do overnight. He, he was there often for several weeks before they could get him out. And he went back. You know, Jesse Jackson actually taught me a little bit about how brave John Lewis was. He said that um, Rosa Parks said that they said John Lewis did the hard time. Like they were impressed with John Lewis. Um, so, again, I think that the world didn't know about him because he stood next to a really bright star, Martin Luther King. And we were always talking about Martin Luther King and all those big stars, Malcolm X, those things. But now the camera's shifting, boom. And we're starting to see that there were other people. And we're starting to see why he showed up on that bridge and talk about the murder that happened there. Or must these things happen with murders or something horribly tragic happens. And he showed up to support the people in the town. But that's why. Why? Because it's time has come and John Lewis deserves it. He got into good trouble. He's a freedom writer. He is that boy from Troy. And telling that story was an honor and a privilege. But I didn't know how much I didn't know until I got into it. And thank you, John Porter, for uh, being the director to uh, put her own credibility out there. And she had to build that credibility by um, directing um, Bobby Kennedy for president, Gideon's army. She didn't just show up. And then they gave her the opportunity to do Good Trouble. And again, we partnered to bring it forward. The reason I brought that up was that you guys are doing Good Trouble. And I wanted you to hear yourself talk and realize that this reparation is about extending yourself beyond the normal cause. Because both of you guys are taking risks. Because people can, everybody's not acting positively out there. But you, but you, what you just said is why I wanted you to hear and also for Whitney to hear that you guys are doing Good Trouble. And that's a very good thing. And I wanted to bring you on the show and kind of put a little twist on the end and let you know that you've worked in a project that has led you to this blessed course of developing a podcast that Charlemagne the God has given you a platform to talk about. Reparations, the big payback. Thank you for coming on my show and thank you for allowing me to, uh, to speak and uh, to share your story with my viewers and my listeners, Erica Alexander. Movie star, as she said, movie star. <laughs> Whitney, thank you, Russian, for all the work that you've done and the work that you've done as executive producer and producing shows. And you know, you've been in the trenches and you and also teaching us about money and all that other stuff. Thank you, brother. Thank you. I appreciate y'all for coming on Money Making Conversation. Thank you thank so much. <laughs> if you want to hear more Money Making Conversation interviews, please go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I am your host. In this season of giving, Kohl's has gifts for all your loved ones. For those who like to keep it cozy, find fleeces, sweaters, loungewear, blankets, and throws. Or support minority-owned or founded brands by giving gifts from Human Nation and Shea Moisture. And in the spirit of giving, Kohl's Cares is donating $8 million to local nonprofits nationwide. Give with all your heart this season with great gifts from Kohl's or Kohl's.com. There's a monumental shift in power at work. Employees are speaking up, turnover is rising, salaries are increasing, hiring is tough, and burnout is real. It's time to unleash growth. It's time to transform your HR from powerless to powerful. Join ADP on February the 23rd. Reserve your spot now. Go to gettheplan.adp.com to register for the Work Interrupted Summit. 
Adoption of teens from foster care is a topic not enough people know about, and we're here to change that. I'm April Dinwiddie, host of the new podcast, Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Each episode brings you compelling real-life adoption stories told by the families that live them with commentary from experts. Visit adoptuskids.org slash podcast or subscribe to Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families and the Ad Council.